I'm always fascinated by where you're going with the, the next piece of information. I know. I try to keep you on your toes. I know you sometimes are a little like, what? <laughs> Cut. <laughs> yep, that is my mom, Dr. Elizabeth Skabinski-Bortman, calling the shots. And I'm her daughter and your host, Rebecca. And this is Advice from Mom. Usually on this show, my mom, who's been a psychologist and family therapist for over 35 years, answers your letters about big life questions. In honor of Mother's Day, though, we're taking the whole month of May to feature stories and wise words and life advice on mothering social change from a few revolutionary matriarchs who have been mothering society in ways all their own. This episode, we are pleased to be talking with Joshua Grinnell, most famously known by his superstar drag queen alter ego, Peaches Christ, the moniker by which he has not only sustained the underground drag culture of San Francisco, as the city has undergone massive socioeconomic shifts, but also mentored, and dare I say mothered, a whole generation of San Francisco drag performers. You might recognize him from his own film, All About Evil, or such films as Milk, I Am Divine, Diary of a Teenage Girl, or the HBO series Looking. Or, if you're really lucky, you've seen one of his infamous live performances at the Castro Theater in San Francisco. Also joining us, one of his mentees, or as he lovingly calls them, his bastard children, Seth Shubin, aka Veruca Batsaltz, whose career in drag and friendship with Peaches Christ all started because of a tattoo. So, without further ado, how do we celebrate Mother's Day all month long? We gotta do more than just calling my mom. Mother is a verb, so you might as well use it. Look at bigger pictures, start making improvements. Talk to matriarchs who are mothering movements all month long. So, as our listeners know, my mom lives in Pittsburgh and I live in San Francisco. Hmm. It makes a sound just in its in its very nature how far apart we are. Hmm. Um, and I know San Francisco is very different than Pittsburgh in many many ways. I'll say. <laughs> so, San Francisco is known throughout the world for their amazing drag performances. So Peaches Christ is at the center of that and has single-handedly mentored and mothered a whole community of performers. I am pretty sure that I've I've gotten this information in uh, a visual form at some point. I don't remember where or when, but it's... Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, there's a few documentaries about Peaches and Joshua that we'll share in the show notes for our listeners. Mm-hmm. Okay. So oftentimes, performance names will have... Uh, puns. And this one I think will be lost on you since you weren't really like into 90s alternative rock. Okay. You've got my curiosity up, up. Uh, so this performer is named Veruca Bath Salts. <laughs> it's cute. Mm-hmm. Yeah. After the 90s band Veruca Salt. Ah. See how it all fits together. And also, let's not forget the Willy Wonka movie. I was so stuck on 90s alternative music, I forgot that it's actually. A reference to a Willy Wonka movie, so you've probably you probably knew about Veruca Salt. Uh, even though I didn't realize I knew about it. 
<laughs> so, so mothering occurs in lots of different settings. Yeah. It does, and it's needed. That support system never loses its critical role in good mental health and just feeling great. Mm-hmm. More shall be revealed. Actually, start out by how you guys would introduce each other if you're on stage versus if you're meeting <laughs> socially. Would that be fun to kind of be sure, like? Sure, we could sure. do that. What about language? Language, you can, You, my mom will, she'll admit that she <laughs> says fuck a bucket when she gets really okay, mad. Okay, okay. So she's, she's, now is she going to be on the show? So she'll be part of the introduction. I see, okay. Um, the thing that I noticed when I told her about getting to interview you is that she did this thing that I'm now going to call pronoun roulette. Uh-huh. And she was trying to find the right pronoun. Right. And I said, maybe that's that's a great question to ask Josh. Yeah. What guidance can you give to my mom as she proceeds through the world of pronouns? Radio is kind of the exception to all these rules. But typically, if I am in costume and in makeup and hair, um, I prefer to be referred to as she or, you know, peaches. Um, if I'm dressed as a male, uh, I prefer to be referred to as Joshua. Um, and then, believe it or not, there's an in-between because when we were making my movie and I was writing and directing and also performing in the movie, uh, there were often long periods of time where I'd be dressed like you see me now in male clothes but have a full face of makeup. And that uh, became known as Peachawa. Oh, awesome. And it could be he or she. And then on radio, um, I've done radio where I am dressed uh, male, but I'm completely peaches. Uh, but I've also done it where I'm... Um, I've never actually done it where I'm peaches and <laughs> pretended to be Joshua. It's always more I didn't feel like getting into drag for you know a radio interview, but they wanted to interview me as peaches, so I put that voice on. So, But today I, we're talking to Josh. Yes, I would say... Um, you know, it's I on radio I kind of I put on a sort of an in-between voice mm-hmm. and because Peaches is in many ways a more flamboyant, exaggerated, colorful version of mm-hmm. me, mm-hmm. I sort of will channel her now in party situations on the radio when I'm not in drag, I sort of access that energy. So I sometimes use the persona to kind of come to life. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. Well then I think you'll approve of the answer that I gave her, which is the best the best policy is to ask the person. That's exactly yep. right. I think so. And I think most drag performers are going to give you a similar answer, you mm-hmm. know? Yeah. Um, and then some of our friends who are drag queens, like, honestly, and, and amongst drag queens, this is interesting, amongst drag performers, you don't use the male persona, regardless of how that person's dressed. So I would never call my friend Hecklina Stefan, or even he, you know, in my mind, Hecklina is always Hecklina. And in her mind, Peaches is always Peaches. She wouldn't really call me Joshua unless we were at some sort of weird business meeting or we were being really weird and serious. But in general, amongst drag families, you don't, you know, you, you still see each other as the queen. Mm-hmm. I work at Hecklina's bar and she's never called me Seth in three years of working there. It's yeah. always Veruca. Yeah. All right. Well, then we need to to introduce the other voice in this conversation. So now, uh, thank you for allowing that derailment, that yes. pronoun yeah. derailment. Okay. Um, do you want to go first or would you prefer I go I first? I prefer you go okay. first. <laughs> um, so if it were socially, it would be kind of like I introduced him today to you. Rebecca, this is Seth, you know, also known as Veruca Bath Salts, um, and kind of leave the person to figure it out. If we were on stage, I would say... 
Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to the stage the the fabulous mistress of cinema at the Roxy Theater, also the hostess of Desperate Living, the punk rock nightclub you've been waiting for at the stud. It's the one, the only, Veruca Batsalt. How am I supposed to follow that? Well, I've had a lot of experience. It's true. I mean, one thing I've learned from this one is been working on my speaking abilities and being in front of audiences. Um, but yeah, generally I would, if I were in a room with Joshua and I was introducing him, I would introduce him as Joshua. Many people in this city already know who he is. So I don't get a chance to introduce him a lot. Um, but if we were doing a big show together, I would be Veruca Bath Salts and I would introduce him as the one and only, the legendary Peaches Christ, the creator of all things cinematography and here in San Francisco, who's a living legend. Living legend, <laughs> yes. And as I found out in the elevator, with a pedigree, a John um, Waters pedigree. It's it's a thing that Seth and I really bond over, is a deep shared love of uh, the whole world of John Waters, the entire universe that he created. And, and certainly it's been major inspiration for... Um, our lives and how to kind of like live our life. And so for me, the uh, fact that I was growing up in Maryland, going to Catholic school, felt very stifled, very conservative. I was a kid who was making haunted houses, literally at this time in seventh and eighth grade and obsessed with horror movies. And while I knew I loved spooky stuff, I knew I loved Elvira, I just hadn't tapped into anything that spoke to this queer thing that was inside me that I knew was there and I was really, you know, clearly stifling and, you know, closeted about um, until this kid came back from a day of shooting Hairspray, which was first and foremost super exciting to me because movies weren't really made in Maryland. Like, I hadn't heard of that. Hollywood seemed like a million miles away. So the fact that there was a movie being made, this um, asshole in my class was lucky enough to get to be in the movie. <laughs> that was that really pissed me off because how dare they? But um, the fact that they came back and talked about the making of the movie like it was a real movie and then said, you know, and the mom, the mom in the movie is played by a man. And I, of course, had to pretend that that meant nothing to me and I had no interest in it whatsoever. But, of course, I became obsessed and secretly waited to see the TV commercials and the big release in Maryland was a huge deal. Hairspray was a big crossover film for John and for all of them, Divine and Mink, and they really all became sort of legitimized by that film and were celebrated by my community and the city that I grew up going to. And that was transformative. Of course, it led me to um, seeking out Pink Flamingo goes. And um, that, as a young, impressionable, you know, junior high school student, really rocked my world and really showed me what punk rock queer culture was and what it could be. And then I discovered the Rocky Horror Picture Show. And I feel like those ingredients, the horror-loving kid that then was exposed to this sort of transgressive, artistic, um, punk rock queerness, it really set the stage for me to kind of, you know, follow those passions to this day. <laughs> totally. Yeah. I, I love a good origin story. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's, that's truly one. mine. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah. Um, let's let's talk about how you guys started working together. <laughs> I love telling this story. We'll go for it. So um, probably in about 2010, uh, you know, the internet was a thing at this point. But at the time, you know, Facebook was still a little bit on the newer side. And um, I just gotten a brand new, I have a full arm sleeve of tattoos that are all John Waters characters. At this point, I only had maybe two or three of them, but I had just gotten a new one of Mink Stoll, and 
I, she had posted a photo of it on the internet and I had started getting all these random messages from strangers, but you know, I was 22 maybe and I was loving the attention. I'm not going to lie about it. Um, and I got one from somebody named Joshua that was like, your tattoo is absolutely filthy. I love it. And, you know, I started looking through his photos and I was like, this person, you know, seems to know this drag queen that I've heard of out on the West Coast because I was living in Philadelphia at the time. And uh, I slowly put the connection together that this Joshua person was this drag queen, Peaches Christ, that I had been hearing about. Um, So I had responded and we started, you know, slowly emailing each other back here and there. And when I started divulging further into Peaches' career, I realized that the West or out in San Francisco, there was all these big drag shows going on about everything that I was obsessed with that I wasn't seeing back home. Finally, in 2011, decided I'm going to go visit San Francisco for the first time. And my partner and I had planned the whole trip around one of Peaches Christ's, you know, very famously known showgirl shows that happens every summer at the Castro Theater. Um, I know it well. Yeah. <laughs> I found my way to sneak up and say hello at one point, and you know how, we got. How to, sleeveless was your shirt? Um, I'm tr- <laughs> it was. It's really embarrassing to look back. It was also really funny because my partner and I joined the annual lap dancers contest that happens every year, and you'll see you know about a hundred people on the stage of the Castro with fabulous names like Clitty Litter and Euphoria and Kegel Cater. And then my partner and I, will ne- I will never forget, we're the last ones in that line. And we didn't have drag names at the time. So Joshua's going through all these people and then goes, and welcome, Seth Shubin and Joey Guerin. And I remember we were both mortified because we were like, oh, <laughs> what kind of losers are we? We don't even have drag names. And then the ultimate thing that happened was... Uh, I think it was Halloween 2012. I had dressed up as Dawn Wiener from Welcome to the Dollhouse um, for Halloween. And Joshua, he emailed me very quickly after and was like, I love this costume. This is so good. And then the following uh, winter, when they did Sketchfest, he announced that he was doing Welcome to the Dollhouse. And I was like, I can't miss this. I have to come out for this. I need to wear this costume. And he was super, super nice to me. You know, I came in a couple days early, and I remember we got lunch together, and we hung out for a little bit, and really got to start to know each other. And he was like, you know, come backstage afterwards. I'll introduce you to Heather Matarazzo, who was there, which was blowing my mind to be in San Francisco. I dressed up as one of, like, my favorite childhood characters from a movie that, you know, always spoke to me as an outcast or a weirdo. People were like, you're pretty weird. You should probably move out here and do things like this. I never lived anywhere else. So in 2013, I was like, you know what? I want to try something new in life and decided to move on out here and pushed my way in. (laughs) So would you, would you credit it to your amazing arm of tattoos? If it weren't for that, I don't know how we would have met. Seth's um, sleeve is particularly fabulous and really artistic <laughs> and special. And so, you know, and also, too, maybe I just could see, you know, sometimes the Internet is very um, revealing. Like, you can see, um, you know, a part of yourself in someone just, you know, in a different um, time. You know, he was like, a, he reminded me of a younger version of myself. Interesting. Cool. Okay, so let's uh, let's let's fast forward to collaborations of today. Well, for me, I mean, Seth has been just really magical because 
when he moved here, if I can, you know, yeah, talk about you a little bit, he was um, store manager for um, a retail chain and smartly, you know, was doing that San Francisco hustle that we all do and came to work with us pretty immediately after he moved. Um, and then over the years, actually was able to build up enough of a creative body of work that he was able to go work in nightlife, you know, work at the Oasis now. Seth obviously is really, really talented. Part of my job is figuring out how to um, showcase those talents without being exploitative. And I feel like my responsibility as a as a sort of mother figure or mentor is to be available to teach them stuff that I got to learn from my, you know, mentors so that they can actually nurture those projects for those people and to help build them up because the the, the stronger and more successful uh, we all are, you know, we lift each other. So I've tended to be, in my experience, I think m- more of a mentor that way. Like, okay, let me help you. Let me, you guys want to do this? I mean, Jerry Lee and Veruca Basalts were doing this great um, movie series over at the El Rio Bar and showing movies. And I really was nostalgic for it because it reminded me of the early days of Midnight Mass. They got to show weird movies and and screen things. At the Castro, I have to show popular things and, and fill a certain number of seats or I'm going to lose a lot of money. Um, so I went to the, these guys and I said, when you're ready, like, let me help you and we'll put it in a cinema and we'll pay the distributors and we'll, we'll do it really you know, properly. And, um, and they said, okay, next year. And we got to work on it together and I helped get them in, into the Roxy, you know, and that's, I think really exciting for me that I'm in a position now after doing this a long time to take what I've learned and use whatever reputation I have to help young people, you know, out a little bit, you know, in a way that some people helped me, you know, years ago. Yeah. And that's that was the next topic I wanted to explore is this uh, idea of the mentor mentee relationship. And it sounds like you you think about it a lot. I want and hope that it's natural, where that if you're showing up for me, um, I want Peaches Christ Productions to be a springboard for people to go above and beyond Peaches Christ, honestly. I mean, I truly do. I don't want them to ever feel like there's um, a a ceiling that they're going to hit and that they're going to be trapped with me for the rest of their lives. (laughs) I really, really believe in... Making room for that next hungry young person who's okay with getting paid, you know, half of what they would at Lucas or Pixar, you know, or whatever, you know, for the amount of time they spend. So, you know, you also have to be realistic about what you can do as a underground <laughs> drag theater performer to, you know, create a successful business. Yeah. And do you think about it as creating a scene, like kind of a cultural scene? I do because inherently that's what my original show Midnight Mass was built on. You can see these movies at home. We grew up in the era of VHS. Um, We grew up with cable television. Now, in the early days of Midnight Mass, actually, there were some things I screened that you really couldn't find. So, like, you know, if we screened, you know, Ted Michaels' The Doll Squad or whatever, we actually did get some film nerds who would come out and understood the value of seeing that movie. Um, But really, for me, it was always about... This is fellowship. This is going to church for us. This is our church. Midnight Mass is kind of a literal um, uh, description of the way I view these movies. We worship them, and we're coming together for fellowship, meaning we want to be with people who understand the importance of that pool scene and showgirls and are going to cheer it along. It's not the same watching it at home. Um, and, And that the people on stage 
are no different than the people in the audience. Um, so still to this day, there's very little fourth wall at my shows. They're more scripted. They're a little more polished. But we're really talking right to the audience. And really, you know, everything is so organic. I mean, if you've ever been, well, you've been, yes. so you know, yeah. they're never flawless. Things always go wrong. <laughs> really, what is imperfection in the in the grand entertainment sphere? The day that we have a perfect show um, probably is the day I should retire. And the fact that we get the theater for one day, we load in that day. We've never rehearsed a show before on that stage until we do it for an audience is insane. And when theater people hear about it, they just want to vomit because it's so it's the antithesis of everything you're really just not supposed to do it this way but i think as a um audience member Mm -hmm. um i think that's what makes it part of the culture part of the san francisco culture is it's not it's not like oh we have a theater we're respectful of that it's like no this is the way san francisco does theater and that's the scene to bring it full circle, that is the scene, is that the audience is rooting for us mm-hmm. to, like, do this thing. And we're we're depending on that love and that there is a scene and everyone feels like they're part of this moment that's authentic. And that's yeah. why it doesn't translate on video. It doesn't translate. People film it, put it on YouTube. It's like, no, you were either there or you weren't. Because yeah. some people go, aren't you worried about you know th- this content being out there? I'm like, no, because anyone who's been to the show knows that it's about being there and that being part of the scene. And so I do think we created a scene. Okay, so then I'm going to dare to go one galactic step further Uh and say, is this a bigger movement? Oh, gosh. Is this a theatrical movement or a performance movement? Or would you, uh, you know, I think it is. That's very flattering. I tend to not think of it in that way. However... I'm comfortable being part of a legacy that I feel like can be traced all the way back to the Coquettes in the late 60s, who were this hippie drag commune of um, drag performers that included cis women, you know, in the 60s, um, trans women, men, men with beards who threw glitter in them. Uh, Sylvester, the, the 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 incredible disco singer, was a coquette. Um, Divine and Mink Stoll often came out from Baltimore to do shows with the coquettes. And I'm proud to be part of that legacy, which I do think has been a movement. We're very much a part of their legacy, and I'm very proud of that and, like, continuing that and now seeing that we have our own bastard children that are, you know, coming out um, that will continue this legacy here that have been inspired by what we do. So in that way, I feel like, yes, I'm part of the movement, and that includes Tranny Shack and, you know, all of the things that kind of came before um, what we're doing today. I feel very proud that I was able to, um, you know, be part of inspiring them or igniting something. You have that motherly quality of being selfless, too. I guess. I mean... Oh, I could never take credit for this. I don't want to take credit for this because That's I think fine. one of the... I won't force you. Yeah, I think one of the things that um, kind of trips up a lot of drag queens is queens that don't keep their ego in check. It is a fantasy, this thing that we do. And much like, you know, um, maybe the gay porn world or other places where there's niche audiences with niche audiences, I've seen where people all of a sudden think they're Madonna. And it's like, you're not Madonna, you know? 
Like maybe RuPaul is Madonna at this point. You know what I mean? It's, but most drag queens don't reach that level of, you know, we're really still not mainstream regardless of what people say. You know, people say, what do you think about RuPaul's drag race? You know, making drag mainstream. I'm like, it's not mainstream. It's popular. And from for a niche audience, it's more popular than it's ever been before. But uh, the day it's mainstream is the day I can go to, into any city in the country and feel comfortable walking down the street and drag. We're nowhere near that. I hope someday we are. I do and I don't. No? I mean, isn't okay. that weird? Yeah. I guess tell me more. Because I'm a bitter old queen who grew up with, you know, um, this sort of, okay, this is going to sound horrible. But someone I respect very much created this um, this series that's become very popular uh, called um, Drag Queens. I forget what it's called, but it's basically drag queens go in and read books to kids in the library. Like Drag Queen Story Hour or something yeah. like that, right? Mm-hmm. Um now, this friend of mine, uh, Michelle T, is a very successful um, author and a punk rock, you know, visionary. And now she's a queer mother. She has a kid, you know. And so I didn't know that it was Michelle who created it. And I've kind of gone on record as being like, I don't want Drag Queen Story Hour to be popular. I want drag to not be family friendly. I want drag to be, you know, angry and transgressive and punk rock. And I kind of have like had to check myself a little bit. And much like other things... I'm realizing I've been around long enough to realize that my own ideas about where we're at with things have to evolve. So I'm both, I'm on the fence about it right now. I'm very like, I'm very like, okay, deep down inside, I think I'm not ready to accept drag as becoming this family friendly thing that it's becoming. Um, But I'm also trying to get there and understand new ways to make it, you know, Mm -hmm. um, transgressive. But yeah, it weirds me out that kids come to our shows now and stuff. You know, yeah. <laughs> I mean, like, not a few. Like, it's a thing now. Like, kids come to hundreds, our hundreds. drag show. Oh wow! <clears throat> you know, because it's all ages at the right. Castro Theater, right? Hmm. And we're talking about you know felching or whatever, and it's like you know, <laughs> just goes over their heads. So. <laughs> I guess so. I mean, I don't know. I guess parents have some explaining to do. I don't I mean, know. If they're raising them in San Francisco, they see a lot. Right. Of that's true. Yeah. <laughs> so. Seth, I'm I'm interested to hear what you think about all this. One of the, in the early early days of like doing drag stuff, like I would be terrified to even walk out my front door. I'd like make sure a friend with a car or a taxi was like there to pick me up immediately because you couldn't do it. Um, but at the same time, you know, I have to agree with Joshua. You grow up being really proud of being an outcast and a weirdo, and when something feels a little taboo, you know, it seems cool because you find your people in that community. Um, they make it special, and that's right. Or you know, group was well, in a way our identity, right? Like right. it's the scene yeah. that we were talking about. One of the reasons I think Seth and I bond so much is because we share that part of, um, you know, a, 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 a someone who could have been a victim of bullying, but instead wore this sissiness and this thing as a badge of honor. Mm-hmm. And so, watching it become quote unquote mainstream or family friendly. After we, you know, have embraced it as a transgressive, you know, um, uh, middle finger to mainstream society, which is exactly what all of John Waters' films really are, right? Um, is a little, it's maybe a little uncomfortable for us because we're we're watching this part of our proud identity kind of fade away. Right, right. No, I mean totally. And I think uh, talking about it in the context of punk is is very. I mean, yeah, nobody wants to hear a punk song that's about. Happy times. Exactly. (laughs) One of the most rewarding things for me, though, personally, is like people that are 
15, 30 years my senior who see like a lot of the stuff. Dare you. I'm not talking about you How specifically. Dare you. <laughs> um, yeah, but right. no, one of the most like rewarding things is having people that moved here, you know, 15, 30 years before me, seeing the stuff that I'm doing now and saying, you know, this is why what we want to see in San Francisco and this is what we miss about San Francisco. And because I feel like I moved here in 2013, which was kind of like the height of like the rent really going up and a lot of these businesses that are being built as far as the tech industry. Um, you know, and seeing the younger generation, I think it makes people really happy to see that they're still doing punk rock things in San Francisco. And I mean, full disclosure, when Seth moved here, I had started telling young people not to move here. Mm-hmm. After years and years of being accessible online as Peaches Christ and kind of being, in a way, um, a, a uh, sort of an example of what it meant to run away and to reinvent yourself in Oz, you know. And I moved here because of things like Tales of the City and um, the Coquettes. And, you know, uh, I feel like for years I was saying, yeah, run away. Get the hell out of that town. You know, come here. You will find a way. You'll crash on a couch. You'll get a job. You'll become a barista. You'll become a drag queen. You know, you will survive. And around the time Seth was moving here, and I remember actually having fear for him and kind of being like, uh, maybe you should. I don't know if you should. And honestly, now I'm very, I'm much more um, pragmatic about what I tell young people, you know. But yeah, it's not the same. I, I, I don't, you know, I don't recommend young people come here, which is sad and weird. What you do know? you recommend to them? I say, come here if you can do it under these conditions and kind of give them the lay of the land. But I used to kind of blindly go like, sure, I moved here with no job and a one-way plane ticket and no money and nowhere to live. I mean, that is literally how I moved here. I had nowhere to live, no job, and barely any money. And, you know, that was like normal, you know. Um, So now I would tell a kid, no, you need to have a plan and you need to be open to living in um, other parts of the Bay Area and, you know, kind of just be more realistic about what it might take. More motherly? Yeah, I guess more motherly. Could I ge- it be? I, ge- I, guess, I guess as you get older, you start to get more worried about younger people, and then they kind of prove you wrong, which is great. You know, so old Peaches Christ can tell you, like, don't do this, and then you do it, and you get to prove me wrong, and that's, uh, that's okay. Because the reality of it is young people are still moving here, and they are still making it work. They just happen to be living, you know, 20 people deep in a one-bedroom apartment or whatever, you know. Then I guess the, the last question is, do you have any motherly advice to share with our listeners? <laughs> well, I mean, honestly, um, I I would say since I've asked about drag performers and people interested in the arts and kind of pursuing um, a creative career, I do think a, a big secret to my success was not to view it as a career, but to, to view it as a, like a lifestyle choice and to to, to try to make money, obviously, we got to pay the bills, but to pursue the things that make you happy, to really invest in the things that are actually exciting to you, to not look around and try to follow the trend, but kind of become the trend and really follow your heart and your gut, which I know is easier said than done. It's cheesy to say, but I find a lot of people don't actually pursue the thing that makes them excited. Just do your thing. Make it your own. Make your own world. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, perfect. So thank you so much, Joshua and Seth. Thank you. Uh, thanks for being on Advice for Mom. Thank you. I did listening to this interview with Peaches and Veruca, a.k.a. Joshua and Seth. 
shine any shine any interesting light bulbs in on your head? It sure did. A lot of a lot of interesting light bulbs. Uh, I like the way Peaches said that the audience is on our side or is rooting for us or something like that. This kind of subculture wouldn't exist without an audience to support it. Yeah, and to hear them talk about their own lives and, you know, what they think about various topics outside of their performance selves is is fascinating. Yeah, I think there's something for all of us to learn because we all have a performance self in some ways. You know, it's it's there's always going to be a differentiation between what we put out to the external world and what we feel inside. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I mean, of course, I'm taking those lessons as a performer myself. But I mean, do you think that fits into a, a bigger picture of mental health, understanding the divide between what you project externally and what you feel internally? Oh, absolutely. In fact, there are a couple things. One is that there have been a couple of theories or models of how to change yourself, and that is just by being, you know, kind of pretending to be the person you would like to be, and then to see what happens. So, uh, you know, to try it out and to give you permission to try it out and uh, experiment with. I think that's a big, it's a big, uh, big help. Everyone has, uh, used to call them platform skills. Do you, do you ever, do you know what that, I mean, have you heard that term? No, I, the only definition I can think of for that is like a super nerdy, like computer definition of like, we are available cross-platform on your phone and on your computer. <laughs> no, no, no. It just simply, simply means every single person at some point Even um, my own Rebecca, when she was very little and doing a dancing to a Tina Turner song, maybe, um, she was already practicing her performance or platform skills, which means that every person has some opportunities to get on the platform, whether it's a kid in school who's being asked, called upon to spell a certain word, or it's somebody who is being asked to give a speech. If the kid has uh, experience with it as a real small child, it just becomes part of him or her without any fear and so forth. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, talk about that at a big level. I think Joshua seeing John Waters' films hairspray being filmed in his hometown was this amazing platform even though he was kind of on the on the sidelines on the side stage right (laughs) i i think to me that that kind of that's an awesome example of having an experience when you're young that allows you to know that this is this is something that you could be in the future you can't be what you can't see that's right that's right so it provides you with a model how to how to think about it, um, and how to let that inner part of yourself that's usually hidden, how to maximize it and allow it to be out and uh, allow it to make you excited and just passionate. I loved when you asked uh, Peaches, Josh, about the, you know, is this a bigger movement and his answer, and then you had the very apt comment that he is 
the more self selfless kind of response. I thought that was a good insight. That that was one of those characteristics that I was so excited to see in person. It's something that comes across in all of Peaches Christ shows. So the fact that Peaches Christ is very giving of the stage and features all these amazing performers mm-hmm. as part of her performance. Mm-hmm. And to see that at this micro level of like not even, you know, taking credit for a statement was that selflessness, I think, is a motherly quality. Yes, yes. And and that giving them that opportunity and that his confidence in them, his excitement about them is is what gives them the courage and the just the motivation to do it. And that is that so much builds the self-confidence. Totally. I was so excited to meet Seth and to hear his story of coming out from Philadelphia to San Francisco because of these interactions with Peaches. I liked what he said about that he's he feels he's part of a legacy. So basically talking about not the future so much, but the people who helped to give me models and give me permission and give me um, a way to see forward where I want to be next. That's an incredible part of his story. Mm-hmm. Good for you that you got them. Oh my gosh, I was so excited. Next week, Dolores Huarte. Wow, good. Another exciting person to meet. Yeah, talk about mothering a movement. So, you know, she single-handedly, well, I should say she hand-in-hand uh, hand with Cesar Chavez... Mm-hmm created the farm workers first union that then created these boycotts and changed the way that that whole industry the farming industry looks at its workers and brings more respect and acknowledgement to the fact that these humans are humans it's so amazing because it really did uh, affect the whole country and uh, that's an amazing thing to do Uh, how does one do that yeah That's a really good question uh, that we will be answering next week. As we talk to our final matriarch, who is mothering social change, Dolores Huarte, and her daughter, also a mother, Camila. And until then, send us all your questions and all your feedback at advicefrom.mom. Two to lose. A special thanks to Joshua Grinnell and Seth Shubin for sitting down with me for this interview and to KQED in San Francisco for letting us record in their studio. Also thanks to Cass Adair for his help on this episode. Advice for Mom is a production of Wise Ones Advice Services. It's produced by Juliet Heinley and me, Rebecca Garza-Bortman. Editing by Juliet Heinley and Samantha Land. Mixing and mastering by Jake Young. Publicity by Anna Bader. Audio assistance by Brian Garza. And our theme music is by my band, Love Jerks. So um, should I turn off the recording or, or no?